This is the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. 1037 The Game's exclusive pro wrestling podcast. Making his way to the podcasting ring. Hailing from the heart of Cajun country. It's me. It's me. It's the world famous CD. Let's ring the bell and get this party started off right. And welcome everyone to the latest edition of the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. Appreciate you listening in however you're doing so, be it through 1037thegame.com, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, however in the world you're doing so, we appreciate you listening in. We got a lot of things to get to in a short time to get there. And we're going to more importantly stick towards the independent ranks because it was definitely a big weekend for the more, not necessarily WWE-related stuff, but we'll spend some time talking about what everybody's been talking about in terms of all out. So let's get right into it. Overall, I think the show could have been a little bit shorter. And I wound up watching from the pre-show to the end of the show. And it was full-blown an okay show. I'll start with the buy-in because I feel like I got some thoughts on that. You opened up with Joey Janela versus Serpentico, a really solid match to kind of get the crowd hot. Again, it's a pre-show match. What do you expect? Relatively short, sweet to the point. But it really made me think, you know, Serpentico deserves a lot more of an opportunity to win. And I understand completely. He is an enhancement talent at the end of the day. But I've seen the guy wrestle. He can absolutely go and put together, I'd say, three and three-quarter star, maybe a four-star match. Be able to do that consistently night in, night out. I'm surprised that, you know, Serpentico lost this match. Because I think Janela, for the most part, is used as, like, the enhancement talent for... The big stars, which makes me wonder why this was actually a thing, but you know it is what it is. And it seems like they're starting to push him into an inner circle feud going forward, presumably tagging with Kiss against Santana and Ortiz. We'll see how that goes from here. Because we want to see a little bit more of that during the Casino Battle Royale, which I'll talk about in a little bit. But you also had the Dark Orders 3 and 4 versus Private Party be the buy-in main event, which was really good. I feel like it had way more fun than it was supposed to be. Private Party, of course, gets the win after Jen and Juice. They get the they hit the finisher, get the win. It was a short, sweet match and just really good. And I have to say, you know, I hadn't necessarily seen much of 3 and 4 do tag team action. I don't necessarily watch a whole lot of Dark. But this was probably a moment where I was like, okay. I like the Dark Order 3 and 4. This is a great tag team. They were smooth, and they looked really good. And this is a team that I feel like you know has been painted to me when I watch a BTE has been the fact that they are painted, for the most part, as goons. They're portrayed more like a Balkan Skull type thing where they're the they're your foot clan of the Dark Order trying to recruit new members of, to, the, to the group and all that stuff. But they actually looked like serviceable hands, and I can't wait to see what's going to happen more with those kind of guys down the road. Because I've got a lot of different questions about how they're going to be utilized going forward, which I have to say, again, really solid buy-in. Just, you know, is a lot more building up, to, building your anticipation towards what's coming next with the rest of the main card, which is where I'm going to go to now. First off, I was surprised. No hype video to intro the show. It was a little strange. It was just the FBI warning followed by Pyro and Ballyhoo, all that stuff. And the card starts off with a tooth and nail match. It was Britt Baker and Big Swole. It was a cinematic match as expected. We talked about it during the bonus pod earlier this week. And it was a fun start. Reba slash Rebel, however you want to put her, is the receptionist to start off. And I love that. 
it was so funny. I wish it was Glenn Jacobs, but obviously can't do that. But overall, it was just a quick contest just to get it out of the way because nobody in their right mind really cared about this cinematic match. It was great to see this finally get a blow-off to a few that I feel like had been going on way too long, which is something else I'm going to get to. But it felt like a very quick contest and Big Swole got the wind in this feud that really had been going on since like after Double or Nothing. It had been a long build towards this and ended with a cinematic match that I feel like made us realize, hey, I think it's time to cool off on that a little bit. Maybe we wound up running a little bit too hard on that. Again, overall, solid contest, really fun stuff with the gas mask getting the finish, quite literally putting a gas mask on her to get the win. Well played. And then you had the tag team match that wasn't for anything. The Young Bucks and the Jurassic Express taking on each other. Again, this was all to put the Young Bucks on the card to kind of push this new aggressive kind of spin that the Young Bucks are having right now because you saw what happened on Dynamite a couple weeks ago, losing the gauntlet match, and now they're on the card after teaming with the Jurassic Express and winning. It made you wonder what was actually going to happen. That's some really cool spots. It was it was your typical all elite wrestling tag team match with high spots and dives and everything in between. But some really cool highlights I have to say is there was a Really cool moment whenever Marco Stunt actually got the piss beat out of him, and that was all again. It paid off because Marco Stunt basically was just being a jackass around the ring, and you know you're gonna wind up getting your ass handed to you, and it worked out, and it was really fun. I enjoyed the fact that that was how the that match went down. You had him hit the super kick, and the super kick just you could just feel it, and it was like ugh. You felt good after hearing that the way that thing just slapped. It was really well done. And then they had a really awesome super kick towards the end of the match. It looked like that was going to be for the three count. Yet it was Jungle Boy going for a springboard. And he just straights up decks him. And he falls down like a stack stack of bricks. Goes down falling hard. And it's like, what is going on? Like, this needs to be the win. And it's a two count. And then they hit the BTE trigger for the win, like almost right after. It it was so like the BTE trigger hit so well, but you could tell there's a lot more of a demeanor of this group wanting to be taken more seriously and more focused on trying to no longer change the tag team division, but control the tag team division, start having their own little reign of terror, if you will. And it was really awesome to see that. Hopefully, this is something going forward that we see with All Out, with the All Out Fallout where. The Young Bucks are more focused on trying to take over the tag team division again now that, you know, what happened later on in the night happened. But then we get to the Casino Battle Royale, which was way better than I felt like, you know, for the most part, a lot of these cards have been in the past. Because I feel like the all-out Casino Battle Royale, it's done just to set up a future title shot. The ladder match they had at Double or Nothing just was probably one of the worst things I've ever seen. It was, and I, retroactively speaking, I could not get into that. But I love the way they did this one, this go-round, where it's like they built up who is all going to be in it, leaving that one spot open for the mystery competitor, and you're wondering, who is it going to be? Who is it going to be, number 21? There's a lot of guys you can choose from. Who's going to want to going over to AEW? We'll get to that in a minute. It starts off Trent Daniels, Jake Hager, who, by the way, is now rock hard Jake Hager, okay? The Blade and Ray Phoenix. Really cool the fact they were like the – 
announcers also selling the fact that you have Ray Phoenix and the Blade, they do work together because of the fact that now they're all kind of aligned with Eddie Kingston. And it was nothing really happened. It was kind of just setting up to build up towards the start, the start of the second batch of five with Frankie Kazarian, Will Hobbs, Chuck Taylor, Santana, and Ortiz all making their way down to the ring. And a really great kind of moment for Will Hobbs eliminating the blade. And I haven't seen a whole lot of dark, but I've heard nothing but great things about Will Hobbs. I can't wait to see what he does down the road. Maybe he can become more of a dynamite player because I think he could wind up working out really well and be sort of a hoss in that like heavyweight division. I'd love to see him have a little bit more of a run outside of being enhanced talent on dark. And then Hager also eliminated Daniels. No surprise there. And then we get to Billy Gunn, or as they called him, just Billy, Pentagon Jr., Brian Cage, Ricky Starks, and Darby Allen all came out. And it was really cool how they built it up. You know, Taz excited about Starks and Cage entering together after all that is Team Taz. And then Darby comes out on a skateboard. And this is something I really enjoyed how they presented this match. It wasn't like, oh, hey, you know, all of y'all come out at once. It was each and every person got their own little entrance just so they could walk out. It was great. And then like Darby Allen was just a man on fire, hitting Cage and Sarks with the skateboard, then eliminating Phoenix. And you saw just so many things go on in that. And then the fourth and final batch of five, we're going to get to who was number 21 in a little bit. It was Spears, who basically decided he was just going to methodically do his own thing, not focus on being in the ring because of the fact you have Eddie Kingston, the Butcher, Sonny Kiss, and of course, Lance Archer involved in that final group of five, and it was just pandemonium and crazy stuff from then on. In fact, Sonny Kiss eliminated Jake Hager. I was talking about the fact you're going to see Kiss and Janela be involved a lot more in angles. I think that's going to be something that happens going forward, and Kiss and you know Hager are going to be involved in a feud somewhere. But I'm looking forward to seeing what's going to happen with that tag team and how they're going to fit into a feud with the inner circle down the road. Is it going to be Joey Janela, Jericho? Is it going to be Sonny Kiss, Jake Hager? I don't know. And then we get to the final entrant of the match, Matt Seidel. I was so pumped for this. Seriously, I absolutely loved Matt Seidel back when he was having born in WWE. Impact Wrestling, he was great as Matt Seidel, then obviously Wrestling Society X and everything in between. I've loved his character and, the, and his work. His work is probably one of the best I've ever seen. And he's able to pull off that shooting star press with the greatest of ease. He's been able to do it consistently for years. But this go around, and I, I'll admit it, I laughed the second it happened because I'm like, oh my God, this guy, I'm like, I'm so excited. He's like, yeah, I remember texting people. I was like, yeah, Matt Seidel. And then it's like, oh no. I think I said it on Twitter, I was like, oh no. He slept on the top rope, hit his leg, and also kind of hit his arm on the rope and landed hard. I feel sorry for the man. Like, he had an opportunity to make an immediate impact, no pun intended. He had an immediate chance to put himself over in a huge way, and then he wound up having not quite a shockmaster moment, but still, it made you like be like, what the hell just happened? Why did this happen in 2020 where Matt Seidel – a man who's known for nailing the shooting star press consistently. In fact, he was having to do that consistently to get the opportunity to do that 
over in WWE because they had, at the time, banned Shooting Star Press because of the dangers of it. And he was able to pull it off perfectly every single time. And the one time he doesn't do it, it's whenever he's making his debut for AEW. And this is where the show kind of turned in a little bit of a different direction. I'll get to that later. And at one point, there was another spot I just did not like at all. And that was when Ricky Starks pulled out a body bag from underneath the ring, then they poured thumbnecks on the body bag, then wrapped Darby up in it, and then they threw Darby out of the ring while in that, you know, body bag. Oh boy, that that was way too dangerous and probably the probably if not for what happened in the next match, this probably would have been the worst spot of the night, and we would have been talking about that rather than what happened next. And Raw said this is no Siegfried and Roy, which okay, I get it. But it was also just so disheartening to see that spot, the way it was done. Lance Archer wound up winning the match, thanks in large part to Jake the Snake Roberts. But I still love the way it was, and I was just slightly disappointed about the fact that you didn't have your boy, Eddie Kingston, get the win. Because it felt like I was so excited. I was like, give me Eddie Kingston winning here. I would love to see Archer, but at the same time, Kingston versus Moxley? Tell me you wouldn't love to see that. Even Kingston versus MJF, it'd be very similar to a Mox versus MJF match, but you know it makes a lot of sense because of the past history that Archer and Mox do have. And they put together some really great matches, especially back in Wrestle Kingdom. Just a phenomenal U.S. title match over in New Japan. But overall, great battle royal. And then we get to the match that everybody's talking about for a lot of different reasons. It was the last man standing match. Hardy leaves the AEW. If he loses, it's called a broken rules match. And it all starts off at the football field. And you're wondering, you know, okay, we're going to see how this whole thing goes down. And we're, you know, going to see some crazy crap go down. And, of course, you see Sammy Guevara come out on the golf cart. And Hardy avoided it. It made a lot of sense. It was absolutely hysterical the way he wound up hitting it. But then you see, you know, they're kind of fighting on the picnic table in the concourse, and they climbed the sky, the the lift, and it was just bad from there. Now, again, from what I was able to kind of observe, everything was set up the right way. They could have moved it back just a teensy bit, maybe like one or two inches, or hell, maybe even like three or four, just to make sure that the spear, they still are able to land on that on those tables and be able to be okay. This was not that situation. Hardy was knocked out. It looked like he had almost, he had died right then and there. And it just took, this is the moment where the show goes from like pretty damn good. It's, it's pretty good. You know, you're, you're enjoying yourself to being, you know, genuinely concerned for somebody's future. And you're wondering why is this still going on? And he went like splat. On that concrete. And, you know, give credit to Aubrey Edwards. She immediately just threw up the X, was calling it off, calling the match off. And, you know, they were selling the fact this is a scary situation. And the next thing you know, somehow, some way, Matt Hardy goes out back to the, back towards the arena to continue the fight with Sammy Guevara. And, you know, the, Justin Roberts saying there must be a winner. The bell rang again, which was mistake to begin with and you could just tell Matt wasn't right in the head reportedly he's, he's better now but still that is absolutely dangerous considering the fact he did have a big injury this was extreme rising back in like 2012 
where he landed on his head and was throwing up and having seizures and all that crap. Like, you don't want to deal with that if you're Matt Hardy. And it was a really just stupid thing for this match to continue. And then, of course, you know, Hardy did win after punching Sammy, who then flew off the truss and crashed through the stage. And the ref counted him out. Sammy just laid there. But this was something where he was legitimately concussed. And then they called for the finish, like, right away. That did not need to happen. They could have just said, oh, hey, we're going to write off Matt Hardy for a while and then figure out a way to put it together. But it just looked like an absolute bleep show for that spot alone. And it took the rhythm out of the show completely. If that Matt, if that move had been executed properly and were able to put together a really solid match the rest of the way, I think we'd be talking about, you know, a really good show. This is the moment when the show went from being, you know, okay to what the hell? Why is this still going on? Why is the show still going on? And then we got a, a big step in the right direction with probably the match of the night. Hikaru Shida versus Thunder Rosa. Champion of the AEW Women's Division taking on the NWA World Women's Champion, which was really good. I'm not going to lie. It was probably one of the most like matches that's going to fly under the radar for a lot of people. Right in the middle of the card. And it was such a fun, like, 17-minute match. Rosa countering the Falcon Arrow, kicking out at one from the Falcon Arrow. Just a really fun overall match. And she had kept trying to apply the stretch muffler, all that stuff. So many great spots throughout. Sheeta and Rosa put together a really great match. You take your mind off of the stuff that had just happened. And it was a baby step towards the show getting a little bit better. And then, of course, you had to have AEW get all meta and make fun of the fact that, you know, WWE's not allowing people on Twitch or Cameo, which has since light, been lightened up since Monday. But, you know, then they do a Kip Saban Penelope Ford segment where they're announcing they're getting married and holding it live on Dynamite, whenever that is. And he said they didn't need to have a bachelor party first and choose the best man. And he said he has to be loyal handsome and have similar interests. I think it's going to be Rusev now known as Miro over on Twitch. He's going to make his debut. Obviously this all kind of a rib towards WWE and their anti Twitch stance, which again has changed a lot over the last couple of days. And then we get to a match that I really have a hard time, like wrapping my head around in terms of whether or not this was good. It was a little bit lengthy. But it just didn't do as much for me as, say, you know, the Hikaru Shida-Thunder Rosa match. They wasted a lot of time here. And you see just everything kind of go on. And it's handled really well. The way the tags are in and out, the way the, the way the match flow goes overall, it's solid. But then you see the finish. The finish is probably one of the worst things I have ever seen because it makes no sense in terms of how you're booking the Dark Order. Just a couple weeks ago, you booked the Dark Order to look so damn strong with Brody getting the win over Cody and absolutely demolishing him, taking out the Nightmare family, beating up QT Marshall, Dustin Rhodes, Brandy Rhodes, all that stuff. You do that. It's amazing. It works extremely well. But the finish is where I'm absolutely frustrated and it's a lot of different things. So the finishes, you have the Lariat that absolutely just crushes Dustin Rhodes, crushes his heart and soul. And then you see Coca Bana get offered the opportunity to get the pin and the win. 
All Cold had to do was just lay down on Dustin, get the pin, one, two, three, and move on. That was not the case. He decides he's going to go up to the top rope, hit a moonsault, which he misses, and then you see Goldust get the win. What the hell was going on there? It continued to get even dumber because all of a sudden, Dustin's teammates holding him up in the air like he wound up winning the WF title from Yokozuna back in SummerSlam, which honestly did not need to happen. Like You could have just moved on from that feud and just said, hey, let's celebrate, let's win. And then you want to finding out that, you know, Dustin Rhodes is going to be pacing Brody for the title on Dynamite this Wednesday, which should be really fun. But why do we need to see a match of that caliber ruined by a, th- a dumb finish and the post-match antics? Which, again, you know, it told a different story with Brody and Colt because Colt had always been treated really well. And now, now Colt gets to see the true Mr. Brody Lee and what he's like whatever you don't do the things that you want them to do. And this is one of those prime examples. I loved the fact that that was all kind of intertwined with everything. And it was really cool. Again, it makes sense because it's telling a bigger story and showing the two sides of the dark order. Brody's this very much aggressive hate filled person while evil Uno is always supportive and being very much like a true cult leader is. I love the way they're showing the duality, and maybe that leads to a schism between the Dark Order. I don't know, but I'm interested to see where the storyline goes from here. Maybe it's just m- myself overthinking it, but again, didn't need the finish and the celebration afterwards because that just did not do anything for me. And then we get to a match that I loved, but it went way too long. This match was a 30-minute contest. I, be- I-, I have to pull it up off top. Because it was like All Out was such a long show. I think there's another thing that people weren't necessarily a huge fan of was the fact that this was a like almost four hour show in terms of the main card itself. And yeah, a big reason why is because of this match 29 minutes and 40 seconds. You had that was the longest match in the night by far. The second longest was the main event. And then you have the second match on the main card be a 22 minute match. You also had a lot of these were between 15 and 16 minutes. You know, the shortest one you had was the broken rules, but that could have probably been a lot longer. So it was just such a long freaking card. You really got frustrated. But again, this was probably going to be one of my matches of the week, but I feel like Sheeta versus Thunder Rosa told a lot better of a story story with less time. This told a good story. But it was way too long for my liking because it was just basically FTR, Kenny Omega, and Adam Page seeing the well-oiled tag team, that tag team that's been around forever, taking on a odd couple tag team. That you're starting to see those cracks of them being an odd couple tag team. Overall, just it was too long, but it told a great story. And at the end, you see Adam Page take the loss after Kenny Omega accidentally hits him with the V trigger and then two spike pile drivers. Kenny Omega can't do anything about it. And he's frustrated. He gets FTR out and then leaves Adam page where he's at instead of going for a hug. And he left off in a huff saying that he was done. He was going to, he needed a clean break. So maybe we see the cleaner Kenny Omega make his return instead of, you know, the, what we've been getting as of late, where Kenny just can't get the big match win done on a big pay-per-view. 
at least when it comes to like these kind of main events, obviously the match at Revolution doesn't necessarily count in my mind. But it was an overall still solid match. I can't give it like a five-star rating or four and a half. It went way too long. I felt like it plotted at points. And by this time, I was starting to really kind of feel it. Especially when I rewatched it. I was starting to feel like I couldn't take much more of this main event level tag team match. This could have done been done a lot better. And then you get the Orange Cassidy, Chris Jericho, Mimosa Mayhem match, which was honestly about what you expect. And I love the way that whole set design looked. And this is probably one of my favorite highlights of the show was how immediately you get Orange Cassidy going for the Superman punch and then Jericho counting with the code breaker like right away. And it makes you think this is going to be a quick match. It's over. No, this was going to be a very fast-paced match. And the way things went, it was bang, 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 bang. And it was so well done. I give all the salutes of the world in the world to a guy like Orange Cassidy, Chris Jericho, for putting together a really good match with a predictable ending. Chris Jericho loses. It makes sense in terms of continuing the storyline going forward with Orange Cassidy being taken a lot more seriously. And he had a really good performance in that contest, going from, you know, the chill to beating the crap out of Jericho. And the casual way, you know, he threw Jericho into the Vata Mimosa, or submerging him, as they put it, was really awesome. And it made me just love the entire angle with Orange Cassidy and Chris Jericho. An angle that I wasn't necessarily sure I'd be a fan of, But lo and behold, things did change, and I'd say it lived up to a lot of my expectations, which were relatively low to begin with. Then we get to the main event. John Moxley, MJF for the AEW title, and this was so damn good because it told a lot of different stories, you know, and it was all kind of predetermined based off of how the hype was surrounding it, where, you know, MJF wanted to show how he can get things done in the ring and keep Mox from going out. But then Mox wanted going towards that part of his wrestling style and was beating the crap out of him outside the ring. Even had like Mox yanking MGF's fingers apart, which led to my one of my favorite lines with MGF yelling, Raph, Raph, Raph. And then the referee's like, I can't do anything. Get back in the ring. Get back in the ring. And of course, every time Mox was setting up for the DDT, he just started going into the paradigm shift. The ref had to stop him, and he wanted to so bad, but couldn't. You know, if he hit the paradigm shift, the match would be over, and he would lose the AEW title. Then he wound up doing a lot of different things, like selling the arm that was injured in that match, went for a gotch-style pile driver, but his left arm gave out. Then he later on hit that, which looked absolutely brutal. And overall, just a really fun main event that ended surprisingly I'll say that much it ended on a surprising note with Wardlow distracting the ref while MGF got the dynamite diamond but while the ref was distracted Mox said oh yeah, I'm gonna give him the paradigm shift to make sure he doesn't see it so it continues the storyline going forward that I think they can bring back up down the line that MGF's first ever loss was not clean in any way shape or form and we could see MGF win the title not too far down the line I think that's really where we stand right here right now with the world title picture. Obviously, Lance Archer is going to have a lot to do with it, but I think that is going to be a lot of fun to see down the road. Overall, you know, good match. 
and a great way to end the show, send the crowd home happy at All Out 2020. But I just could not say this was a good show overall. The buying was okay. Opening match was meh. Things started to pick up, though, during the third match of the main car with Lance Archer winning the Casino Battle Royal. And then Matt Hardy happened, which took us all out of it, and we're more focused on what's going on there rather than focus on, you know, I'd say probably three great matches. One could have been a little bit shorter, but you also had two really okay matches like the Orange Cassie Chris Jericho and then the eight-man tag with the Natural Nightmares, Matt Cardona and the Scorpio Sky taking on the Dark Order. I feel like for the most part, it was a show that fell underneath the bar that, you know, shows like Double or Nothing, like All Out last year did, like Revolution did, like Full Gear. Look at all those different cards. Those have been absolutely amazing to watch back and see how many great matches you had on the card. Overall, you saw a lot of consistent storytelling. But now we're sitting here wondering what in the world is going on with AEW is it feels like they're taking a lot of steps backwards. And I don't want to see that. I don't want to see AEW kind of fall through the cracks and do these whole things where they're going to wind up booking themselves into these kind of situations where you have to where you have to put together like 20-minute matches every night. It doesn't need to be that way. It'd be great, but at least don't have an 11-match card go almost four hours. That's my biggest thing. And you see all the stuff about the Matt Hardy situation where he could have been concussed, and according to reports, you know, the MRI and CT scans, he didn't have a concussion. But who's to say this could have been a lot worse if he did have a concussion? And that took you completely out of the rest of the show. You weren't necessarily focused on what was going on in the ring. You were more focused on, oh, hey, what's going on with, with Matt Hardy? You were wanting to hear the latest updates about it. And it made you wonder, you know, was that worth it to put that match on? Even if you had like a whole crew of people like they allegedly did, just made me frustrated as all get out to see them do that. But uh, one other thing I want to get to, you know, with Ring of Honor, with pro wrestling in, in general, is Ring of Honor Wrestling. They finally announced their full pure tournament bracket. And I cannot wait for this, largely because of the fact that we're getting that much closer to Ring of Honor coming back. And we're starting to hear a lot more hype about the pure title returning, which is a really cool thing to begin with. But you have Jay Lethal versus Dalton Castle. This is going to be from the A block. Again, this is going to be a regular tournament. And I believe you'll have, you know, the like the first round match is going to be 15. Then it's 20 for the second round. The, the finals, I know, is like an hour-long time limit. And it'll all follow the ROH pure rules, which is awesome. And I really want to see if they're going to do Jay Lethal, Jonathan Gresham as the main event, as the final. Because I think that's where it's headed. But I love how they have a whole lot of different guys involved in this. You got Jay Lethal, Dalton Castle in block A in one matchup. David Finley versus Rock Romero, a New Japan-esque match like that. Silas Young, the last real man, taking on Fred Yehi. That'll be fun. Russ Taylor taking on Tracy Williams, rounding out block A. Block B is going to be Jonathan Gresham versus Wheeler Yuta. Delirious versus Matt Seidel. Hopefully he doesn't do a shooting star press. Then you got Josh Woods versus Kenny King. I think that'll be the sleeper of the first round matchups. 
And then you get P.J. Black, the former Justin Gabriel, taking on Tony Deppin. I think that's going to be another underrated match as well. So for me, I'm looking forward to the all-out war that's going to be going on for the ROH Pure title, the revival of it. It's going to be absolutely amazing. I cannot wait for it. I believe they're going to be start airing this stuff on like September 12th. So I'll tell you what, I am all the way here looking forward to all of that and so much more. And I also want to say, I want to go back to All Out for a second because I forgot to bring this up, was that during the eight-man tag match, Jim Ross said some things that made me just cringe so much because it's typical JR, saying the very like sexist, horny type things. We don't need that in our lives in 2020. I'm going to kind of end on that note. When it comes to AEW All Out, it gets a thumb in the middle, maybe like slightly up, maybe Orange Cassie half hardly thumbs up because I just didn't like the entire booking of it, but I understood why they went that way with a lot of different matches on the card. My big thing was the fact that you have JR out there saying, you know, did Anna J suffer a wardrobe malfunction? What is that just me? Why did he need to do that? Why was that needed to be said? You know, I get it. Yeah, it's Anna Jay was adjusting your top. You don't need to comment on that. Comment on the action inside the squared circle. You didn't need to do that. And it made you look like an absolute, like, goof and a, and a like, man, JR, just stop it. And that's going to do it for the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. Thank you for listening. Hope you leave a nice review for us. Five stars. If you're in the Tokyo Dome right now, I'd give you a lot of credit for being there, but also give us six stars if you're out there in the Tokyo Dome. More importantly, subscribe to us on iTunes, the Google Play Podcast. Just search 103.7 The Game. You better get that, along with all the other great content that we got, like the Louis Prejean Podcast, the Rap Game Podcast, all of our regular shows. We got so many different things that you can listen to, and we'll talk to you next time.